Hey there, and welcome to the podcast for Thursday, December the 10th. Coming up, we'll talk about some important news from the Attorney General when it comes to cannabis sales here in the province of Ontario. Airbnb and DoorDash recently go public and their stocks soar. Is this a sign of a fundamental shift in our economy? And our wellness expert talks about the cost of not eating healthy and also the best way to go about and tackle weight loss. All of that coming up right now on the pod. Well, more than two years after legalization, the majority of us in this province, here in Ontario, still getting our cannabis from the illegal market. That's according to our Auditor General, Bonnie Lissick. And for more on this uh, AG report, let's bring in Mitchell Osak. He's with Quantra Consulting and joins us now here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Mitchell, pleasure as always. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jeff. Okay, uh, your take on this AG report, I mean, considering all of the problems over the past couple of years, getting this up and going and off the ground, legalization of marijuana, of cannabis, uh, is it all that surprising? Uh, No, it's not. Um, Considering uh, the AGCO was given this mandate quite abruptly by the Ford government, um, and considering how quickly the market is evolving and growing, um, I'm not surprised at all. It could have been a lot worse, but it should be a little bit better. All right, let's uh, look at a couple of different areas in this AG report. Let's start with uh, licensing. Licensing, sorry. And this is something you and I have uh, talked about uh, in the past and has been all over the news. Uh, the lottery system, uh, of course, that was uh, put in place uh, in, the pro- in this province to give out uh, licenses for marijuana distribution. Uh, what is the findings there and what can we be doing better? Well, the findings are... Um, at a high level that the system was gamed. And what do I mean by that is that there were individuals that were filing multiple applications from the same address and so on and so forth, and basically overloading the application process with a lot of applications. And at the end of the day, that's not a surprise, again, considering how quickly this was rolled out and a little bit of the loosey-goosey nature of a lottery system. But what we're finding now is that the system is getting back on track and there's proper diligence by the AGCO and so on and so forth. But certainly the quality of licensing and the, and the speed at which it's being processed has left a lot to be desired. So it sounds as if the government was not doing, at least initially, their due diligence. Plus, does the Auditor General provide any conclusions when it comes to this lottery system? Because as we well know, I mean, there are several people that won the lottery, were granted a license, but never even opened up shop. That's correct. And there are some people who won the, uh, the golden ticket, so to speak, Uh, to a license and then had it revoked by the AGCO. So, you know, it's been a function of a variety of different things. It's hard to point the finger completely at the AGCO because there are um, are a variety of consulting companies, for example, that were were, um, reviewing the applications and doing due diligence. The reality is is that since we've moved beyond uh, strictly a lottery system, things have gone much smoothly. And even this week, the AGCO announced that they're doubling the number of um, approvals a week from 10 to 20. So clearly, um, they're seeing a smoother, more effective, and more efficient process. I believe that's the case as well. And to put it in perspective very quickly, we had 49 or 50 stores at the end of March of this year. Now we're up to 275. So, you know, clearly they've picked up their game. They're accelerating. Um, for As far as I've seen, there's no evidence of any organized crime in any of those applications or any of those new stores. So I think we're getting beyond that. But 
the Auditor General's report is historical, and it's based on some of the early teething pains. All right, Mitchell, let's switch our focus now to inventory. And what does the AG got to say when it comes to the quality of inventory, inventory uh, management, because that has been, uh, you know, another big topic of uh, concern and discussion for those that uh, indulge in marijuana and cannabis is uh, whether or not uh, the product was going to be good enough. Yeah, that's perhaps the most disheartening conclusion for me, because that speaks to a a number of other factors that were beyond the AGCO mandate and operations. For example, Jeff, you correctly identified inventory as an issue. There is a glut of cannabis inventory across Canada, and it's going to get worse as a lot of the new outdoor grows come on stream you know, right around now. So we have, you know, depending on the the metric you you look at, we have roughly five times the amount of cannabis inventory sitting around in various people's storage than is currently being sold right now at retail. So if you have a lot of inventory in the licensed producers, if you have a lot of inventory at the Ontario Cannabis Store, it's going to be very slow moving and it's going to end up shipping into retailers um, quite old and of inferior quality, and in particular, it's going to be dry. So that's a tough problem. I can't say that the AGCO is going to fix it all by itself. It's a systemic thing that has to resolve itself through, you know, destroying inventory, fewer um, licensed producers producing this stuff, and better inventory management at the OCS level. All right. Can we expect then if there's a glut of inventory, is there going to be a big Boxing Day blowout, Boxing Day special at my local pot shop? Um, I I hope so, but I doubt it. And I'll tell you why. Um, For one reason is that the number of stores are going up. So the good news in Ontario, as I said, they're doubling the number of uh, store openings. Um, There's going to be a lot more new stores to take on that new inventory. The challenge is, is not all of that inventory is a high quality. So there's no point in opening new stores if you're going to stuff it with poor quality uh, product, which is what we're seeing to a certain extent. The second thing which will hopefully mitigate that inventory problem is that prices are coming down. And they're coming down based on, you know, the high supply. So people have to, you know, producers have to cut their price. But also because a lot of that product is being consumed in things like edibles and tinctures and topicals, and it's being, it's being made into value-added product. So the good news is lower prices, more interesting edibles and so on for people to buy, hopefully getting rid of that, of that excess inventory. The problem is, is what's in the system today, and how do you work your way through that? And that will be a challenge, I suspect, for the next six months or so at least. Okay, when we talk about problems with the quality of inventory and maybe a greater array of things such as edibles, if they can correct those problems, do you think that the, uh, that'll shift the tide, turn the tide, Mitchell? Because uh, as it stands right now, according to the AG, the majority of the people in this province that do indulge in cannabis are still getting it from the illegal market rather than the quote-unquote legal market. Um, I, if you look at the, the data from other legal jurisdictions, both in Canada and the United States, and if you look at what the national level of illicit uh, marijuana sales are, which is roughly 45%, according to Stats Canada, we will get, we will do much better than um, 80% right now in the black market. If you think that 45% is a true number, and I do have some questions and concerns about that number, we will improve without a doubt. And a lot of that improvement is underway. 
and will carry on through 2021. The problem is, is what else is coming on from the supply side? Health Canada is still licensing lots of micro-grows as well as licensed producers, and all of those new um, suppliers are bringing product on stream, both in terms of edibles, outdoor grow, derivatives and vapes, and so on and so forth. So it is possible the issue is going to get worse before it ultimately gets better. So if I was um, the OCS and the AGCO and a retailer, I'd be hunkering down for some very difficult times, even though the industry continues to grow at a roughly an 8 to 12% clip every month. All right, Mitchell, we've got to leave it there for now. Really appreciate the analysis and the perspective, as always. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Jeff. Have a great day. You as well. Mitchell Osak is a cannabis expert with Quanta Consulting. Well, if you're a market watcher, undoubtedly you know this already, but Airbnb goes public today, and the numbers are pretty eye-popping. For more on this, here's David McDonald, senior economist with the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. He joins us now here on Global News Radio. David, how are you on this Thursday? Doing quite well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here as always. Okay, the Airbnb shares valued at $68. The company overall valued at some $47 billion. I mean, those are some pretty big numbers, to say the least. But are those numbers surprising, do you think, considering that uh, Airbnb hasn't seen the amount of uh, activity and attraction it has in previous years because of the pandemic, obviously? Well, it's surprising that they, they would choose to to pick this time to to release an IPO, frankly. I mean, it's certainly not the, the best of times for anything related to tourism and travel, and that's as true for Airbnb as it is for any other company in that, in that sector. Uh, that being said, I mean, it's still a, a fair amount of money. I mean, one of the reasons why you uh, do IPO is that you need to raise money, and this is one way to do that. And the reason why you'd have to raise money is often because you're losing money. Um, and so, so many of these companies, including um, previous companies that have gone public, uh, th- that are in this same genre of, um, you know, sort of app app driven work uh, like Uber and Lyft, um, they they went public in order to raise money because they consistently lose money, and so they they needed to get more money, and this is one route to do that. All right, is that the case for DoorDash as well? Do you know because just yesterday their stock soared some eighty five, eighty six percent. It's valued at sixty billion dollars. Yeah, that's, it's pretty common with many of these companies is that they are losing money. I mean, they will they will project a path to profitability at some point in the future, um, but at present they're they're losing money, and so you know whenever whenever you take a, a you know an Uber or, or or go to an Airbnb or order through through DoorDash, in essence, what's happening is that. Um, you know, some Wall Street banker, in essence, is subsidizing that that uh, service. Uh, so they are paying a portion of the bill. You're paying a portion of the bill, obviously. Um, and likely the person delivering the food or providing the service is paying a portion of the bill because they're often being paid uh, less than minimum wage. And they certainly don't receive the same kind of rights as uh, regular workers do in terms of minimum wage and other basic benefits. All right. So what are you reading into this uh, overall? Because when we see DoorDash valued at $60 billion and Airbnb today at $47 billion, it seems as if maybe we're seeing a bit of a, uh, I don't know, shift, a fundamental shift uh, in the economy. Are you reading that or seeing that? Or are you just seeing that these companies, again, are, are floundering and they need some cash right now? Well, I mean, I don't think that that's 
you know, these companies are following on previous companies doing similar things uh, that were out there first, like like Uber, for instance. Uh, and when you see some preliminary statistics uh, showing that, you know, 20% of people employed in big cities uh, are actually um, working in the gig economy. So that they, they are doing this type of work uh, where, you know, you've got an app and it says, go do this and you get paid, that sort of thing. Um, this is clearly something that investors are willing to put money behind. And, you know, that's what these IPOs show. And certainly at this point, it's relatively clear that governments uh, generally aren't interested in cracking down on these companies and forcing them to provide, uh, you know, the basic benefits that employees generally get, that, that it's fine if they bypass labor laws uh, in many places. And so what that means is that, um, you know, they, this, this may well be the route to, you know, they, they may well see profitability at some point in the future, and that's what investors are betting on. Um, and so I think that, you know, in, in, in part, this is trying to cash in on this idea that, uh, um, you know, that this is becoming an important means for people to make money in big cities. Governments aren't cracking down. And so it's potentially a way for, for people, if they can get in at the beginning, to make some money on it as investors. I was going to ask you about government regulation and how could that change things uh, moving into the future? I mean, we've seen an uprising from uh, Uber uh, uh, I'm hesitant to call them employees because that's what they would like to be, uh, employees, but those that drive for or work uh, for Uber. Airbnb, we've seen crackdowns uh, here in the city of uh, Toronto and elsewhere throughout uh, North America because of what it's doing to uh, rental and uh, housing prices. I mean, are governments, are, are they going to act or act more, do you think, in the future? And how that how might that change these companies? Yeah, I mean, you think of like the basic uh, the basic things that people are entitled to as employees in uh, you know in a Canadian province in Toronto, for instance. They're entitled to minimum wage. They're entitled to contributions to employment insurance as well as the Canada Pension Plan. Uh, part of which is going to come from their uh, contributions. Part of which is going to be paid by their company. Those are and and they also have a, a variety of other rights in terms of scheduling and so on. Um, those rights are not extended to them if they work in the gig economy, um, and there doesn't appear to be a lot of government movement to force, um, to reclassify them, in essence, as employees as opposed to independent contractors, um, which would then provide them with those rights. Um, and in, in, in many cases, the reason why you can provide these services for cheaper is because you're not paying people minimum wage, you're not paying their EI and CPP contributions. And that's not sort of innovative, uh, you know, capital markets. That's just paying employees less, and there's nothing innovative about that particularly. Unfortunately, unless the government's willing to level the playing field, um, you know, between an Airbnb and a, and a local hotel or an actual B&B, or between taxi drivers and Uber drivers, um, it, uh, you know, it'll, it'll, it will continue to be cheaper to underpay employees with these, you know, gig, gig approaches, um, and, and therefore they'll gain market share, and sort of the traditional employers that pay all these basic benefits will, will lose market share. Um, and that continues it seems seems to be a trend that will continue uh, and likely will be you know accelerated once we hopefully finally end this uh, you know this this covid pandemic and and things go back to a bit more normal when it comes to uh, at least the tourism sector certainly things like doordash and so on um, have seen a big uptick because of the advent of home delivery and that sure. probably will continue as well david really appreciate this thank you so much for joining us this afternoon be well Thanks for having me. Bye. All right. David McDonald is a senior economist with the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. And let's get to our weekly wellness check. Here is Laura DeSanctis. Find her on Instagram at go with your gut. Laura, good afternoon. How are you? Hi, Jeff. Good afternoon. I'm hanging in there. How about you? 
Yeah, same, same, without a doubt. Uh, report earlier this week, we want to start on our wellness check this week with this report that says the average Canadian family can expect to spend $700 more when it comes to food uh, next year. Now, Laura, that is a big dent in any family's budget, but I know we wanted to talk this week about also the importance of eating healthy because there's also a cost when it comes to not eating healthy. Yeah, for sure. Um, so this trend that we're seeing more and more is called food insecurity, um, and there's a lot of people that can't afford to eat healthy. However, that being said, there are a lot of organizations that can help make a difference. And what we're seeing more and more because of COVID, I mean, we do know that food is, is a fundamental need that we need that helps support our physical and mental emotional health, and it's essential to our survival. But with a lot of um, increasing prices, especially when it comes to healthy food, how do we um, how do we still stay healthy? And that's an issue that I'm finding more and more people are trying to combat, especially when they're telling me they can't afford the basics at the grocery store. So there are things in terms of keeping your health in check where, you know, not always buying um, the potato chips, the package and processed foods because we know that doesn't really do much to our health. It may be satiating at first, but these are a lot of the time, these are things that just fill our guts, but don't really provide any nutritional value. Yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, it is so tough, though, because obviously the food that's going to go up in price uh, next year due to COVID and some uh, other factors like the wildfires in uh, California, in California are the yeah. fruits, the vegetables, the you know, the proteins, the, the chicken uh, and the meats. And it's the, that processed food like the potato chips that, uh, you know, are going to probably remain uh, static when it comes to price. That's right. So if we can, I tell, I encourage people, if you can't afford fresh, I mean, there are still farmers markets available that sometimes offer a cheaper price than the grocery stores. But if you can't afford fresh, then there's always an option of buying frozen, buying the frozen uh, meats, buying the frozen veggies, of course, reading the labels. But this is something that I think supporting your local farmers or even come spring, summertime, take your health into your own hands. And if you have room to make a little garden or if you have that land, why not try that as well? I mean, it's not Hmm. the easiest option, but um, food insecurity in Canada is definitely rising and actually one in six Canadian children are food insecure. Mm. Those are tough facts uh, to hear, without a doubt. Uh, by the way, since we are talking about food in grocery stores, this occurred to me the other day, and I just want to throw this out. Uh, I don't know if Galen Weston or anyone uh, is uh, listening uh, of that nature, but you know how grocery stores always put, like, the milk and the dairy and the eggs in the far corner, so you got to go through the whole store? Yeah. Maybe during COVID that's not such a great idea. Maybe could we like rearrange uh, the grocery store so you know if you do have to get some of those uh, essentials, they can be up front instead of at the back yeah. of the store. I mean, Definitely. just a thought I wanted to put out there. Definitely agree. Same thing with I think you know when it comes to boosting your immunity around this time of year, having like the oranges and different displays, letting people know like these are fruits and veggies that help uh, boost your immunity, that help with iron deficiency, that help reduce the risk of depression and suicidal thoughts. Because a lot of the foods, the healthy foods which are the fruits and veggies that we're getting in our meats, um, they can help with this. They can help with increasing our iron. They can help boosting our immunity. They can help with all that. So even having some of those signs, I think, in front of uh, these fruits and vegetables would really help too. But All right. Here with our uh, wellness expert, uh, Laura DeSanctis. Laura, we also wanted to talk this week about uh, George Clooney, who is uh, back in the news. He's got a new film. He's got a new picture. And I guess he lost, what, upwards of almost 30 pounds for this role? 
Yeah, and when I read the article about George Clooney, I also thought about Adele. And I know we spoke about Adele before and her rapid weight loss, but same thing with George Clooney. He lost a lot of weight in a short period of time, and that led to pancreatitis. Yeah, he actually so, had to be hospitalized, according to yeah. this report. Yeah, this is a pretty serious, I mean, any type of extreme weight loss is serious. And what happens when you have uh, pancreatitis is that it's usually attributed to frequent uh, weight loss where your appetite and eating habits aren't normal. And what happens is your body doesn't secrete enough pancreatic enzymes to digest food. So the nutrients are not absorbed normally, leading to malnutrition. So this is most likely the reason why um, George Clooney was rushed to the hospital. He wasn't absorbing anything. He was definitely malnourished. He probably wasn't even having enough water in his diet. Um, and we see this a lot of the time with celebrities when they try to go to extreme measures to lose weight quickly for a role. And by no means am I um, a weight loss expert, but this is definitely not a healthy way nor a sustainable way to lose weight. Yeah, I always think of Matthew McConaughey when we talk about mm-hmm. this. It was, I think, Dallas Buyers Club where he lost all that weight uh, for the role. And you got to be really careful when you're dropping pounds, particularly when you're doing it in a short uh, window or, or time frame. I mean, obviously, the better solution, and I think for the average person, you, me, and everybody else that's uh, listening, is just to have, if you want to lose some pounds, if you've got, so, you know, the quarantine 15, some extra pounds, is, you know, just think slow and steady, right? Exactly. I'm all about slow and steady wins the race. I mean, losing one to two pounds per week is a healthy and safe rate. Um, losing more than that is not considered healthy at all. And then you'll see with a lot of people, there's like that yo-yo dieting. And losing weight is really half the battle. I mean, it's your mindset. It's the daily habits. It's um, the feedback. It's the chatter that you tell yourself. All of that contributes to being healthy or not. So I think those are all things that we should consider as well uh, when it comes to trying to lose weight. Yeah, when people want to lose weight, uh, do you suggest counting calories? I mean, that has never worked for me, and it's really laborious. Um, I don't suggest it for a lot of people, and even for myself, I find I get fixated on the calorie number. I get fixated on weighing myself on the scale. Um, So usually what I try to do is shift my mindset, and I try to build healthy eating behaviors instead. So making sure I have more water in my diet, making sure I'm eating more fruits and vegetables, making sure that I'm not having sugar sweetened beverages. I find when it comes to extreme diets and extreme detoxes, a lot of these uh, behaviors where you feel like you can't have something constantly makes you think about and crave all the things that you can't have. And that's where we kind of fall off track. So I think the most effective thing to do when it comes to weight loss, even slow weight loss, is be gentle with yourself and realize that this is being it for the long game. Absolutely. What do you think, by the way, about cleanses since we're on this uh, topic? Because I was just thinking of, uh, I had a buddy that, uh, funny this time of year, every new year he would do this like cleanse for the first week of the uh, new year where it'd be nothing but, uh, I'm trying to remember now, it was like hot water, lemon, apple cider vinegar, and like some kind of hot pepper, like a chili pepper or something. So my dad does uh, something like that as well. I think it's, it's almost like a cleanse or a fast. I'm not opposed to fast if it's like 24 hours or a few days if done with just water or bone broth. But again, your digestive system definitely needs to be um, on track. If you're not pooping, if you're not peeing regularly, you're going to hold all those toxins. But when it comes to like these extreme three, four week kind of uh, detoxes that say you're going to lose 30, 40, 50 pounds, I definitely don't think those diets are effective. They put you at a higher risk of a lot of medical conditions. And then what happens is we end up um, overeating after because we are so Right. Or void. 
So those are, there's a lot of things that happen with these extreme detoxes, like muscle loss, gallstones can occur, nutritional deficiencies are a big one. And I think really, at the end of the day, just be honest with yourself. Like, can you try to change your small little habits, your eating patterns, your sleep, and slowly the weight will fall off. But I'm, the approach has always been be in it for the long run. That's any health uh, weight loss expert will tell you that. All right. Great stuff as always. Oh, before we let you go, uh, when's your next Instagram live? So my next Instagram live is tonight at 8 p.m. And I'm going to be teaching you how to make a healthy holiday recipe and just how to stay healthy during the holidays. Love it. All right, Laura, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Be well. Laura DeSanctis, our wellness expert. Find her on Instagram at Go With Your Gut. And just a reminder that you can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 1 till 3 Eastern. Just tune in at 640toronto.com. Also, find us on Spotify. Search my name, Jeff MacArthur, or download us wherever you find your favorite podcasts.